0: Sick. I started a message this morning, which I'm going to continue tonight, called "A Community Changing Church. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Nehemiah and chapter 2, Nehemiah and chapter 2. And um, I'm going to refer to this chapter. I'm not going to read it all. It's, it's a fairly well-known part of the Bible. And just a recap for those, who who is here this morning? Okay, the rest was snoring. Okay, I get that. Um, <laughs> We said when we read this uh, particular passage, we begin to understand that there are times and seasons in God's economy. It was in chapter 1 that Nehemiah began to pray in the month of December, but in the month of April, the month of Nisan, God began to work in the life of Nehemiah in the king's court and to bring a plan that would ultimately rebuild um, the city walls of Jerusalem. And we, we began to see that sometimes things don't go as we want, but that doesn't mean they're out of control. It means that God's in control. And what it sometimes means is that God doesn't work to our agenda, to our deadlines, but He has a plan, and He executes the plan. And prayer is the thing that fuels the plan to go forward. The second thing we said was this, that there are ways and means in God's economy. And as we learned to pray, as He prayed in chapter 1, God answered in chapter 2, we began to understand the unexpected happens as we begin to pray. And I talked about the, the um, incident that I had at work when I used to have a proper job. Then we talked about, um, as we pray, the unbelievable can happen. And thirdly, as we begin to pray, the unplanned can happen. And so prayer and supernatural intervention are absolutely intrinsically bound together I want to carry on with this same thought of how we become community changing people and how we become a cha- a community changing church so that there's a God in heaven will be felt touched and uh, communicated to wherever we live in the part of the community that God has placed us And so the third thing I, I want to say this morning is this, is faith and ca- there's faith and careful planning in God's economy. Now, that may sound strange to some of you, faith and careful planning. How do those two possibly go together? So look at verse 5 in this passage. He's appeared before the king, and the king says, how can I help you? He says, I replied, if it pleases the king, and if you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. So, there are some things that Nehemiah had done to gain the favor of the ruler on the king. He got favor from the king because he had learned to to serve the king well. He learned to serve the king with excellence. And if you want influence, kingdom influence in your world, you have to learn to serve and you have to learn to serve with excellence. So, whether it's your boss, whether it's your company, whether it's your next door neighbor, whether it's uh, the, the school that you uh, attend or the university that you go to, whatever environment you're in, you're looking for ways to serve people with a spirit of excellence. That begins to add fuel to his prayers, creates pathways for God to begin to do something. See, faith without substance is vain imagination. There are some people they are always going to do something. They're always going to do something. They, one day they're going to start to tithe. One day. One day they're going to start to tithe. They're going to exercise some faith because tithing always takes faith, right? Tithing always takes faith. And so some people are always going to start when things get a bit better, when I get the stuff off my credit card. when what the, but, See, faith demands action. Faith has substance. You begin to do something, although you don't always have all the answers. Some churches are always thinking that revival is coming, but they're not planning for that to happen. (laughs) They're never planning for that to happen. They're not planning for new people to come through the door. They're not planning, more importantly, for us to go outside of the door and get the revival happening in the university campus, to get the revival happening in the shopping mall, to get the revival happening in our personal communities, right? And so it kind of becomes a theory. It becomes we check into the prayer meeting, and it's almost like a cop-out because we want God to do stuff that we are more than capable of doing. So Romans chapter 2 and verse 4 says this, it's the goodness of God. It's the goodness of God leads people to repentance. And so we, we're all the time strategizing, we're all the time planning, we're all the time plotting. How do we make Jesus irresistible to people? It's a game. You wake up in the morning and you say, Jesus, who are we going to trick today? And how are we going to do that? We're not going, K. Sarah, Sarah, whatever will be, we'll be. No, no, no. We're on a mission. We're on a mission. We have a plan. We don't know all the details. We're on a plan. We have some intentionality. How are we going to do that? And so in Hebrews 11 and verse 1, it says this faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It will actually happen. It's not. Well, I'm going to pray and cross my fingers, cross my legs, and hope for the best. No, 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 no. Faith has substance. In fact, the root word there is title deed. Faith gives you a title deed. Faith gives you an internal legal document that says this is going to happen. I don't care how bad it looks. I don't care how ugly it is. I don't care how difficult it seems. I've got got the title deed. I've got the legal agreement on the inside of my world that tells me it's going to be all right. Can I ask you, what is the title deed that you have for your life? Or are you just drifting through? Hopefully it's going to be okay. One day I'll find a partner, get married, have 2.4 children, be boring like everybody else. No, no, no. We're we for create better for better than that right yeah. Yeah. and so if you don't know what the title deed is so i i i got radically saved when i was 14 and up until that point i had always i'd always wanted to be an accountant now how weird is that like are there any accountants in the room you can be healed And so I wanted to be an accountant. I thought it'd be fun spending other people's money. I thought that would be a great job. Anyway, and, and so, but at 16, I had had an encounter with Jesus. And I ended up with a title deed. I ended up with a title deed where God actually called me to be a speaker, preacher, minister. And of course, in all those hundreds of years ago, that could only ever be outworked if you became a pastor of a church or a pastor in a church. I mean, we Our understanding is much greater than that now. But I got the title deed. I got the title deed. Now, although I got the title deed, the circumstances were not looking good. Because I didn't have, I had no experience. I had a very bad stammer. When God called me to speak, I thought, man, how is this going to work? We're going to have some very long sermons. So the terrain was not looking encouraging, right? It was not looking encouraging. When, when I told my parents, oh, they, well, I thought the Battle of Armageddon had started when I told my parents. Because they'd have this vision. Blue-collar people, they son become a white-collar person. That's, that was good. Preacher, teacher, pastor, vicar. Oh, my gosh. What did we do wrong? Not going to cut. My wrist, just cut his wrist before he does anything stupid, right? And so there was there was this kind of momentum that really wasn't working that well. But I got the title deed, and then I, I went to work, got a pr- proper job, worked for eight, nine, ten months, tried to save some money to go to the Bible college. And about six weeks out, God says, "Now I want you to give that money away." And I said, come now, let's reason together. <laughs> I worked my flipping butt off you to get this cash. At least pay for one term at the Bible college. No, 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 you. And of course, I wasn't surrounded by people who talked faith, understood faith, exercised faith. They they most people lived within the parameters and boundaries of their income and their expenses. The only time they spent more than what they had in was when they had a credit card. There was no kind of stepping out in faith stuff, so, wow. And then I'm about to to go to the Bible college, and of course, the church I went to, they were absolutely flipping ridiculous. I mean, like I'm needing money, right, and they give me a Bible. I'm going to Bible College. If I don't have a Bible and I'm going to Bible College, that's going to be bad news. I mean, it was a nice Bible, it was a Thomson Chain Reference Bible. But I'm thinking, you know, supply and demand at the Bible College. I'm not even going to be able to get what they paid for it, and I like, can't even flog it to get some cash. <laughs> and I'm walking. at a little party, then I'm walking towards the car, I'm going to drive to the Bible College. And I'm, and I'm saying to Jesus, "By now, Jesus, I think you should have turned up." But tomorrow I arrive, and I have to put a wadge of cash on the desk. Burger title deed. I don't know how this is going to work. It's just going to work, right? I don't know how it's going to work. It's going to work. And so as I'm getting to the car, someone comes running across the car park. Running across the car park with a brown envelope, and they give it to me. And I feel it. And it feels holy. <laughs> it's like thick. It's like thick with pound notes not dollars pound notes and I'm so excited I run back into the church into the bathroom and I'm, I'm like nearly weeing myself so I rip open this there it is there's my first term fees like how lucky was that <laughs> see the title title it gives you a lot of luck. When you got the title deed, you have a lot of luck. You have lots of lucky things happening to you. What's your title deed? What's on you? It can't, it can't be just a career. There has to be a career with a purpose, right? It can't be, well, I'm just, you know, I'm hoping I'm going to save out cash out and I'll be good when I'm 50 and I'll be independently wealthy. That's an awesome thing. That's a, that's a great plan. And most people who are 20. Between 20 and 25, you can do that. You can finish work by the time you're 50, if you, only if you want to. Only if you want to. What's your title deed? What are you made for? Some of us don't know, right? I get that. Some of us have no idea. I'm like talking in tongues to you at the moment. But you have to get that right. Otherwise, you meander through life. Go from crisis to crisis, happiness to sadness. With no driving purpose that's actually going to take you to where you need to be, what title do you have? If you're a family person, what title do you have for your family? What's your title deed for your family? What spiritual dynasty does God want you to create? What are your grandchildren? grandchildren going to look like? What are they going to pursue? What's the hundred year plan for your family? Hundred year plan? Just want a bloke to get married, a hundred year plan. No, 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 we think too short, right? We get the title deed. We get the title deed. And so, we we had said in our family unit, we, there are things that are really important to us as a family as we began to excavate our value system. We began to live out a missional statement for our, us as a family. And there are several things that are important for us as a family. One is hospitality. So we have lots of people stay in the house, not this Christmas or Christmas before, but between Christmas and the new year. We had 17 people come and stay with us. Hallelujah, not all together. But this is what we've discovered. If you get people to stay two nights and three days, you can really mess up their lives. (laughs) You can so wreck them forever that you'll never do that over a coffee. Get them to stay and live with you, see how you live, and absolutely pummel them with truth and kindness and goodness and mercy, and ask the Holy Ghost to turn up. You can wreck them for goodness forever. So hospitality is a good thing, right? So we love hospitality. But we've also discovered this, that hospitality costs you. I mean, if you have people around for a meal, you normally buy slightly better food, right? You take a little longer preparing the food. When we we're having lots of people come, we had a, t- had a vision cast while children. Someone's going to sleep in your bed tonight. You want? Yeah, yeah, someone's going to sleep in your bed tonight. But they're going to be awesome people. And when we're around the dinner table talking, and listen. And if you get brave enough, ask them a question. Because these people are absolutely men and women of God. And you're going to learn so much just listening. It's an honor and a privilege of these people in our homes. So, hospitality is a big thing, right? Missions. Missions, that's a big thing. And so, we've, we intentionally, from when our children was six weeks old, we've taken them all across the globe. So my daughter, who's 23, she's been to 39 countries. My son, who is 19 or 20 now, wonders what went wrong. He's only been to 33. Says, so did I sin in my last life, Dad? So wow! How how can you do that? That's it. It costs money. Yeah, but it's only money, right? You're not sure, are you? <laughs> money is not the problem. Vision is the problem. When you have vision, when you have vision, money becomes less of a problem because God helps you to find a way to pay what He's t- calling you to do. Right. That's important for us, missions. So, 10 straight years took them into Eastern Europe, going to different projects, Hungary, Poland, Romania. They're playing with kids. They don't speak any Romanian or anything, really. But, But their lives are now marked, right? There's a world bigger than their world. There's a world bigger than their life. And they're called to make a contribution to that world and to change it. That gives the title deed, right. So, hospitality is important. Hospitality is important. Mission is important. Faith is important. Faith is important for us. It's important. It's important for us as a family. And it's been important for our kids. And we've included our kids in the journey. In the journey of faith. My son, who's just 20, just graduated from university with a performing arts degree and musical management, and now he's, he has this title deed on him. He feels called to go into the secular world, right? To influence pagans for Jesus. So so this faith and works go together, so I said, okay, Morg, on your way to becoming rich and famous, how are you going to stay alive? So he's got some ideas. Now he's mixing that with faith, right? So we were having a chat the other day. He says, Dad, I'm not going to pray about any money. I'm not going to pray about getting money. I'm not praying about getting money. That's a waste of time, praying about getting money. Because because God's already said, He's already promised to meet my needs. So why would I pray about that? (laughs) No, there's more important things to pray about. There's sick people on the street, Dad. That's what I need to be praying for. (laughs) Where did he get that from? <laughs> He's got a title deed, right? Yeah. He's got a title deed. And see, families, parents, we we create an incubator for a title deed to come up within our family unit that we become, we create a spiritual dynasty that actually makes the devil want to wear diapers every time we wake up. <laughs> That's the plan. What's your title deed? What's the title deed for the church, this church? I don't know who the elders, who's in charge here. But we've got a title deed. So it's awesome, right? It's awesome. Um, Sharon and Jan show me around the plot that they're going for and God's going to give it to them. And they've been on this journey, right, for 10 years, but they've had a title deed. They've not given up. Or have they been discouraged? Yes. Have they had naysayers? Yes. Have there been moments go, oh, my gosh, is this ever going to? Yes. But with a title deed, you ignore all of that and you keep going. Because all that means nothing when you've got a title deed, right? It's only only bad information. It's just bad information, right? When we think, think of our community, think of your street, think of your hospital, think of your school, think of your university. What does it look like if Jesus should turn up? What does it look like? So as we start building that picture in our head, right? Oh, there could well be signs of wonders, it could be miracles, it could be healing, it could be all other things. But there's probably more fundamental things that have to be broken down. People have been beat up by the world. They think they're valueless. And we bring the kingdom of God into that environment and we start showing and demonstrating how valuable people are. To themselves and to God, right? So we have title deeds. So what's your title deed? So with faith, with faith and careful planning, that's in God's economy. I've been working in a city called Krakow in southern Poland, and it's a really interesting city. It's a university city. It's a a Polish city. It's a largely Catholic city. Um, And we'd helped to plant a church there about 10 years ago, and they were in rented accommodation for some time. But then they managed to find a warehouse, and they got a 10-year lease in a warehouse, so they had, they had a bit of real estate where they could actually do stuff. And so where they're where they, where they planted is, is in the Jewish part of the city. Well, that's pretty upmarket, right? So a tin roof in that area doesn't work. <laughs> Instant coffee, that's not going to work. Second-hand chairs in the coffee shop. That's not going to work, right? So they understand we have to do something with the spirit of excellence. It may not be opulence, but it has to be excellence, right? And so they they get they get settled there and then they hear that the city is is um, Outsourcing some of their social activities one of the social activities they want to outsource is uh, care for the elderly people. They want to start seven centers right across the city that will care for elderly people 30 hours a week, get them out of their apartments, get them connecting socially, give them a quality of life. And so the pastor there reads the, reads the pro forma, and he realizes they can't do this because if you're going to apply for the, if you're going to apply for the uh, project that you have to be within 400 meters of a park, but, but he's got a title deed, no, no, We're the church? We're here to be a blessing to the city. We're going to have a go. So he sends off the application. Someone turns up and interviews him. And of course, they're, they're absolutely shocked, right? Because they come into the building. It's, it's really done really well. The coffee machine is shining. The chairs are really nice. And they're saying, is this a church? Yeah, yeah, this is a church. Oh. And they're a bit... Shocked because it's a Protestant church who wants to help Catholic old people, right? So that's not that's not working for them in their heads. And so if they talk this, and so Zippy the pastor talks to the lady and says, "You know, I know there's a grant to do some of this stuff, but it's really not enough money. We think, we think the elderly people in our city are worth more than the grant that you're going to give us to help us help them. So we, as a church, we're going to add them. We're going to add more money." If we get the project, we're going to add more money because we think dignity and honor should be shown to our elderly people in our community. But we know we, know we can't. We know we can't do the project because we, we don't have a park within 400 meters of this building. The lady's like, head is spinning. She says, well, what about that piece of ground with those trees? So, well well, that's, that's the medium in the middle of a dual carriageway. She says, yeah, that'll work. That's only 200 meters away. That'll work. (laughs) Title deed. Right, title deed ignores the facts. (laughs) In fact, the facts are wrong. The facts are wrong. What's your title deed? What are you going for in life? What is the thing that you've been created for? Because you've been created for something. There's a purpose upon you. See, supernatural intervention needs practical outworking. So when he appears before the king, the king says, how long are you going to be? And he set a time. He put a limit on himself. He didn't put a limit on God, right? Oftentimes we want to put a limit on God. God, you have to turn it by Thursday. You have to turn it by Friday. I need $5,000 by X, okay? We say all those prayers and God laughs, ignores them, and carries on. What he says, God, this is what I can do. This is what I can do. Now, what can you do? You can fast. You spell out F-A-S-T. You can pray. You can get with two or three other people and start to dream. You can carve out what you feel God's saying inside of you. You can submit that to other people with some level of spiritual anointing that will, will affirm that or otherwise, right? So he did what he could do. So he said, I set the time lock, and this is how long it's going to take, King. I'm going to get there. It's going to be good. It's going to be all right. And the, so he defined his boundaries, not God's boundaries, right? And then as you begin to do that, the title, start emerge, right? the title leads starts to emerge, right? The title lead said, starts to emerge. I said to the congregation this morning in February, I, I, I got this crazy thought in my head. I'm feeling as if I need to train 10,000 city transformers in the next eight to 10 years. I'm going, I'm an old geezer. How can that happen? How can that happen? Then out of the blue, get an invitation to create 50 programs on, on a Christian TV channel on community transformation that's going to go global. Like, how lucky was that? <laughs> See, the luck of the Lord happens when you've got the title deed right. We have some friends in Vienna and Austria is... a. F- is quite. There's the beautiful side of Austria and there's the ugly side of Austria. So there are, there are more registered prostitutes in Austria than there are spirit filled Christians. There's an unbelievable fascination with the occult. There's, there's probably 10 times more witches than there are pastors in Austria. And The level of occult activity is very strong, and in Vienna they have four occult shows a year, and there's a real big one in November. In excess of 15,000 people go to this one show. And the church in Austria, or my friend's church in Austria, Life Church Austria, when that week occult thing was on. They they always call a week of prayer and fasting, binding the demons, asking Jesus to do something. And that went on for eight or nine years, and nothing happened. And so they said, need another plan. So they decided, this is the plan. We're going to go in and have a stand in the occult show. And we can have the biggest stand. We can have a side-by-side stand, which is... But as big as this front of the stage here, it was outstanding Vienna Life Church. It was huge, right? It like made everybody look like nothing. And then they had three chairs in front of the stand and a big sign. And this sign was, um, the sign over this chair was, only stand here if you have incurable diseases that you want to be healed. This sign here, You want to know something about your prophetic future, this is your cue. I can't remember what the third one was. Well, on either side of this is, you know, there's someone selling, you know, these glass balls and whatever, and someone doing tarot cards of you, and, and they were going bankrupt because all the lines were in these three chairs, right? While all this is going on, there's a camera crew there from one of these niche Austrian current affairs type program, and they're going around. They see this big stand, and they go, this is a bit weird. Church, in the middle of all this. This is weird. Who's in charge here? So Johnny, the, the pastor, says, oh, I'm in charge here. He says, I didn't think you people believed in all this stuff. He says, oh, yeah, we, we absolutely believe in this stuff, but we think we've got better stuff than they've got. <laughs> so really... He says, well, can we, um... so, do you have a yeah, we have a church. He says, well, can we come to your church? Oh, and he's thinking, oh, my gosh, they're going to come, film, make us look weird. It's going to be audible. Inside, he says, Jesus says, let them come. Let them come. So, they agree a time when they come to the church. And it's, it's a fairly young church. It's vibrant. It's in a really cool, really cool building that they're in, real yeah. Anyway, so they come and and you know the music is unbelievable because 17 people in the band, most of them professional musicians from a number of the um, professional orchestras in Vienna. So the quality of the music is absolutely mind blowing, right? And 70% of the people under 30 and. They said, look, we're only going to be you 10 minutes. So they set up and they, and, and their eyes are popping out to the edge because they, it's not working for them because they think in church, stained glass windows, death and dead, boring, go to sleep, pinch yourselves, keep awake. And it's all this energy's coming up. And, and Gianni, who's, who's actually a Sicilian, but um, speaks in perfect German, he's preaching. He's, he's, he's funny, very demanding. So, they're filming the whole thing, they're not going anywhere. They should have only been there 10 minutes. They're there for the whole thing, right? Out, hour and 20 minutes. And then at the end of the service, so says, okay, if people want prayer, just, just come forward and we we pray a few. And so people go forward for prayer. And then the camera comes down on people being <laughs> prayed for, right? Oh my gosh. And then the producer says to Johnny, you know, I got a bit of a problem. So what's that? I said, Well, I've been trying to give up smoking. I've been trying to give out smoking for a long time. I've done yin yang, I've had patches, I've had injections, I've whatever. Like, I don't believe in all this hokey-pokey stuff that you people believe in, but obviously you do. Like, is there anybody, anybody here that could say a prayer for me? He says, Oh, yeah, yeah, we, we pray we can say a prayer for you. So it's Hans, come over you know Hans is 18. He's been saved about three weeks. They're great, those people, right? So he prays for this producer lady. Of course, he's not got the language of Zion yet, so there's a few swear words in his prayer, but it's all good. God understands, right? It's all really good, you know. And he said, okay, thank you very much. So we'll be in touch. When we do the final cut, we'll be in touch. So three or four months later, they ring up the church, and says, okay, we want to do the final touch. We just need to top and tail a few things. So the night we were there, people were saying they were healed of this and that. Do you have any verification of that? Like, do you have Like doctors signing off on that, or no, no, we well, we don't do that kind of stuff. If people are well, they're well, and if they're not, we pray for them again, right? That's how it works here. Oh, she says that's really bad. She says, "Why is that?" She says, "Well, I'm going to have to be the specimen." Said, "What do you mean?" She says, "Well, after that guy was swearing at me, (laughs) I haven't had a cigarette for four months." I'm absolutely set free like how lucky was that (laughs) how lucky was that I swear an 18 year old new convert healing somebody in the name of Jesus shouldn't be allowed what can you do you see we sometimes have to do something the supernatural intervention needs a practical outworking Commit to something. Just commit to something. So I go back to my son, him and his mates. They, they committed to praying for at least two people on the street, once a week. So I said, "How's that going, mate?" He says, "Oh, no, I said, it's all right, Daddy, said, I was in Tesco's the other day. That's like countdown for you." And he says, uh, "The guy at the till, he, he oh, he was complaining he got a bad back, and so." Morgus says, oh, mate, I'm a follower of Jesus. Let me, just, let me just pray for you. So Oh, go on then, he says, go on. So he prayed for him. The guy goes, what happened? He says, what did happen? He says, all the pain left my body. He says, that's Jesus. He says, mate, that's Jesus. Look, I know you've got a line. I'm going to catch up with you next week. So they've made a covenant, right? So... Then he says he was in the high street in in London, and he sees this lady hobbling along, and he says, "Mama, I am in a lot of pain. Um, I'm a follower of Jesus. Do you mind if I pray, pray for you? She says, I am in a lot of pain, and it's none of your business. No, clear off. That one didn't work, right? I said, how do you feel about that, Mark? He says, the woman rejected the healing power of Jesus. How ridiculous is that? So he didn't have a bad self-image about that. He was just sorry for the woman, right? Will you do something? Will you do something? Will you make a covenant with two or three people? You say, okay, I'm going to share my faith at least three times a week. I'm going to do that three times a week. Make a covenant with somebody. See, let's, can we put faith into action? Can we, can we tie two things together? Because the supernatural intervention needs practical outworking. The last thing is this, and we'll be out here by 9 o'clock. There's always obstacles and opposition in God's economy. It doesn't always flow easy. And some people think when it gets hard, well, it's obviously God doesn't want me to do it. No, no, the devil doesn't want you to do it. Yeah. <laughs> and you're in the passage, we had, we had enemies. We had enemies without Ballad the night he was a Moabite, and he was strongly antagonistic, right? Strongly antagonistic. And sometimes... Sometimes you have people in power that they're antagonistic. They shut you down. What do we do? Do we curse them? No, no, no. We bless them. Because they don't know what they're doing, right? Because these irresistible kindness of God is just going to zap them so much. So we bless them, right? Then there's this other group, Tobiah. Well, background reading says that he was probably a renegade Jew, would become the chief advisor to same ballad. That is, if there were enemy within, that's more difficult. Because when you start talking like this, some of your friends won't like it. And do you know what? S- some of your friends may be God's enemies or is an enemy to God's purposes in your life. When you decide, I'm, I'm, I'm over, it's over. I can no longer be average anymore. I'm going to be normal. I'm not going to be also ran. I'm not going to just turn in, check in, check out. No, no, no. Then, then you sometimes find people rise up against you. When I was a young Christian... I decided Wednesday night was the night where me and God we'd get together. So I put three hours aside, seven o'clock till ten o'clock. I read the Bible for half an hour, prayed for half an hour, read a Christian book for half an hour, then had a cup of tea. Yeah, you got a cup of tea on you. (laughs) Then prayed for half an hour, read my Bible for half an hour, read a Christian book for an hour. So that was my three. Three hour encounter with God, just me and God in my own bedroom. That was it. I was good. When I started to instigate that, I could not believe how many people wanted to go out on a Wednesday night. I could not believe that. I never had a phone call before, I never had an invitation before. Like they were lining up at the door. It was just flapping, ridiculous. Now they didn't know that they were instruments of the enemy trying to stop me to get some level of intimacy with Jesus, right? They, they didn't, understand. so I wasn't against them, right? What I had to be sure, I knew what I had to do. And when you know what you have to do, you have to do it. And you can't depend upon anybody else. It's you. It's you and Jesus. You have work that out. See, because we, we are living in a day when God is out to do ridiculous things in our lives. I said to the people this morning... Would you be prepared to say yes to God and you don't even know the question? <laughs> you say yes. Three years ago, we discovered in one of our communities that we were working in, that it was so poor, the parents couldn't afford nappies for the children, right? Couldn't afford nappies for the children. And so, in that community, mum and dad and six or eight children all sleep on the same bed. So children without nappies... When, when a little whoopsie happens with the night, everybody gets blessed, right? <laughs> and you understand the health issues with all of that, right? And when I heard that, I was so flipping gutted. I said, we're going to fix that. Well, at that time, it was the lowest season we'd had for income in our organization. The lowest season. I said, no, no, we're going to fix that. We're going fix <laughs> to fix that. Yeah, yeah, no, we're going to fix that. I have, I have no idea. In the last three years, we've taken in 135,000 nappies into that community. See, when you say yes, life gets interesting. You may know what you're saying yes to. Friends, I'm just trying to make you into normal Christians. Some of us have become way too Christian to be helpful. No, no, we... Where do you design for something better?